0: Section 24 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 3. Edited by Charles F. Horn, Rossiter Johnson, and John Rudd. Martyrdom of Polycarp and Justin Martyr a d 155 by homersham cox the roman emperor antoninus pius who died a d 161 had been tolerant to the new judaic sect known as christians under his mild regime although he did not encourage them the faithful had greatly multiplied the christians had become a body great enough to be reckoned with in a political sense the populace were generally hostile to them as enemies of the gods more than one of the apostolic fathers had suffered martyrdom among them ignatius a disciple of st john and bishop of antioch who is said to have been thrown to the lions in the circus about a d 107 but the account of the martyrdom of polycarp is probably the first authentic description we have polycarp was born about a d sixty probably of christian parents he bridges the little-known period between the age of his master the apostle john and that of his own disciple irenaeus during the earlier half of the second century he was bishop of smyrna ephesus had become the new hope of the faith and in that city polycarp had received his education and lived in familiar intercourse with many who had seen christ he was also intimate with papias and ignatius the only writing of polycarp extant is the epistle to the philippians which follows it is of great value for questions of the canon the origin of the church and the ignatian epistles of the authenticity of polycarp's epistle reverend father w o b pardo s j says there are long and learned controversies about some of these apocryphal books of that in question he says probably authentic not inspired archbishop wake was fully convinced of its genuineness and his translation has been here used Justin, surnamed the Martyr, was born at Sitchin, Samaria, about A.D. 100. After his conversion to Christianity, he wandered about arguing for the truth of the new faith. He was of a bold, aggressive nature, and scorned to temporize in things spiritual. His language and mode of address were borrowed from the Stoics, but were the true utterance of his own manly soul. You can kill us, you cannot harm us, was his answer, when condemned for being a Christian. The words proceeded from a believer ready and destined to give his life for the faith. Truly did the blood of the martyrs prove the seed of the Church. Polycarp's epistle to the Philippians, hereto annexed, is taken from a rare work which contains the uncanonical books of the period of Christ's infancy and the early days of the Church, entitled The Apocryphal Books of the New Testament. The laity have little knowledge of it, but it is well known by the clergy homersham cox polycarp bishop of smyrna was undoubtedly a companion of the apostle john and received instruction from other apostles about this time says eusebius referring to the commencement of the second century flourished polycarp in asia an intimate disciple of the apostles who received the episcopate of the church of smyrna at the hands of eyewitnesses and servants of the lord the lengthened life of the apostle john who attained to an extreme old age connects the fathers of the second century with the immediate followers of christ polycarp must have been a contemporary of st john for about twenty years a letter of irenaeus who is a pupil of polycarp has been preserved which gives a graphic and remarkably interesting account of the familiar intercourse of polycarp with the apostle the letter is addressed by irenaeus to a friend named florinus with whom he remonstrates for holding erroneous doctrines these doctrines o florinus to say the least are not of a sound understanding these doctrines are inconsistent with the church and calculated to thrust those that follow them into the greatest impiety these doctrines not even the heretics out of the church ever attempted to assert these doctrines were never delivered to thee by the presbyters before us those who also were the immediate disciples of the apostles For I saw thee, when I was yet a boy in Lower Asia, with Polycarp, moving in great splendour at court, and endeavouring by all means to gain his esteem. I remember the events of those times much better than those of more recent occurrence, as the studies of our youth, growing with our minds, unite with them so firmly, that I can tell also the very place where the blessed Polycarp was accustomed to sit and discourse, and also his entrances, his walks, his manner of life, the form of his body his conversations with the people and familiar intercourse with john as he was accustomed to tell as also his familiarity with those that had seen the lord also concerning his miracles his doctrine all these were told by polycarp in consistency with the holy scriptures and he had received them from the eye-witnesses of the doctrine of salvation these things, by the mercy of God and the opportunity then afforded me, I attentively heard, noting them down, not on paper, but in my heart, and these same facts I am always in the habit, by the grace of God, of recalling faithfully to mind, and I can bear witness in the sight of God, that if that blessed and apostolic presbyter had heard any such thing as this, he would have exclaimed and stopped his ears, and according to his custom would have said, O oh, good God! unto what things hast thou reserved me that i should tolerate these things he would have fled from the place in which he had sat or stood hearing doctrines like these from his epistles also which he wrote to the neighbouring churches in order to confirm them or to some of the brethren in order to admonish or exhort them the same thing may be clearly shown in another place irenaeus states that polycarp was appointed bishop of smyrna by the apostles themselves polycarp also was not only instructed by apostles and conversed with many who had seen christ but was also by apostles in asia appointed bishop of the church in smyrna whom i also saw in my early youth for he lived a very long time and when a very old man gloriously and most nobly suffering martyrdom departed this life having always taught those things which he had learned from the apostles and which the church has handed down and which alone are true of the numerous letters which polycarp as bishop of smyrna wrote to the neighboring churches only one is extant it is addressed by polycarp and the presbyters with him to the church of god sojourning at philippi and probably was written about the middle of the second century in this epistle he praises the philippians for their firm christian faith and exhorts them to adhere to the doctrine which st paul had taught them by word of mouth and by his epistle after various exhortations to presbyters deacons and other members of the church polycarp refers to the martyrdom of ignatius but apparently was ignorant of the circumstances attending it for the epistle concludes with a request for information respecting him the martyrdom of polycarp himself is described in an epistle addressed by the church of smyrna of which he was bishop to the church of philomelium a city of the neighboring province of phrygia there are probably some interpolations, but, excepting these, the document can hardly be of much later date than the death of the martyr. There are several reasons for this conclusion. In the first place, the general tenor shows that it is intended to give information of events which had recently happened. Secondly, a postscript states that a copy of it belonged to Irenaeus, a disciple of Polycarp. And thirdly, a large part of it is transcribed by Eusebius, who treats it as an authentic document the date of the death of polycarp is well ascertained to be a d 167 in the reign of marcus aurelius for some time previously there had been a cruel persecution of the christians at smyrna in which both the gentile and jewish inhabitants took part against polycarp especially as the chief minister of the christian church their hostility was directed after several christians had been tortured and thrown to the lions the multitude clamoured for the death of the bishop yielding to the urgent entreaties of those around him polycarp quitted the city but he was pursued and brought back the proconsul who had reluctantly allowed him to be arrested was anxious to save him when he was led forward a great tumult arose among those that heard he was taken at length as he advanced the proconsul asked him whether he was polycarp and he answering that he was he urged him to deny christ saying have a regard for your age and adding similar expressions, such as are usual for them to employ. Swear, he said, by the genius of Caesar, repent, say, away with those that deny the gods. But Polycarp, with a countenance grave and serious, and contemplating the whole multitude that were collected in the stadium, beckoned with his hand to them, and with a sigh looked up to heaven and said, away with the atheists. The governor continued to urge him again, saying, swear, and I will dismiss you, revile Christ, revile christ polycarp replied eighty and six years have i served him and he never did me wrong and how can i now blaspheme my king who has saved me the governor continued to urge him and in vain threatened him with the wild beasts at length the herald was ordered to proclaim in the midst of the stadium that polycarp confesses he is a christian thereupon the multitude cried out this is that teacher of asia the father of the christians the destroyer of our gods and demanded that he should be burned alive, and the governor gave sentence accordingly. According to the horrid custom of the times, the executioners were about to fasten his hands to the stake by spikes, when he begged that he might be bound merely, saying that he who gave him strength to bear the flames would also give him strength to remain unmoved on the pyre. This last request was granted, and being bound to the stake, he uttered this beautiful prayer, father of thy well-beloved and blessed son jesus christ through whom we have received the knowledge of thee the god of angels and powers and all creation and of all the family of the righteous that live before thee i bless thee that thou hast thought me worthy of the present day and hour to have a share in the number of the martyrs and in the cross of christ unto the resurrection of eternal life both of the soul and body in the incorruptible felicity of the holy spirit among whom may i be received in thy sight this day as a rich and acceptable sacrifice as thou the faithful and true god hast prepared hast revealed and fulfilled wherefore on this account and for all things i praise thee i bless thee i glorify thee through the eternal high priest jesus christ thy well-beloved son through whom glory be to thee with him and the holy ghost both now and evermore amen the flames did not immediately seize upon his body so one of the executioners in mercy perhaps plunged a sword into his body and so ended his sufferings the centurion then placed the body in the midst of the fire and burned it according to the custom of the gentiles thus at last taking up his bones valued more than precious stones more tried than gold we deposited them where they should be There also, as far as we can, the Lord will grant us to celebrate the natal day of his martyrdom in joy and gladness, both in commemoration of those who finished their contest before, and to prepare those that shall be hereafter. There is something wonderfully touching in this reference to the natal day of his martyrdom. Those who wrote it thought that the day on which Polycarp was pierced by the sword was not the day of his death, but the birthday of a new and happier life justin who from the manner of his death is often called justin martyr was a native of samaria he was of roman parentage and was born early in the second century and therefore must have been contemporary with many persons who had seen some of the apostles justin who is addicted to philosophical pursuits has given in one of his works a very curious account of his studies and search after religious truth first he thought to find it in the stoic philosophy I surrendered myself to a certain Stoic, and having spent a considerable time with him, when I had not acquired any further knowledge of God, for he did not know it himself, and said such instruction was unnecessary, I left him, and betook myself to another, who was called a peripatetic, and, as he fancied, shrewd. And this man, after having entertained me for a few days, requested me to settle the fee, in order that our intercourse might not be unprofitable him too for this reason i abandoned believing him to be no philosopher at all disgusted with the mercenary spirit of the peripatetic the inquirer next determined to make a trial of pythagorean philosophy but the celebrated pythagorean teacher whom he consulted wished him to learn music astronomy and geometry those kinds of knowledge however were not what justin wanted and besides he thought that they would take up too much time So he next resolved to make a trial of Platonism, and this time he was more successful. In my helpless condition it occurred to me to have a meeting with the Platonists, for their fame was great. I thereupon spent as much of my time as possible with one who had lately settled in our city, a sagacious man holding a high position among the Platonists, and I progressed and made the greatest improvements daily, and the perception of immaterial things quite overpowered me and the contemplation of ideas furnished my mind with wings so that in a little while i supposed that i had become wise and such was my folly that i expected forthwith to look upon god for this is the end of plato's philosophy justin then proceeds to give a remarkably interesting and graphic account of his conversion to christianity and while i was thus disposed when i wished to be filled with great quietness and to shun the path of men i used to go into a certain field not far from the sea and when i was near that spot one day where i purposed to be by myself a certain old man of dignified appearance exhibiting meek and venerable manners followed me at a little distance and when i turned around on him having halted i fixed my eyes rather keenly upon him justin gets into conversation with the old man and says that he delights in solitary spots where his attention is not distracted and where his converse with himself is uninterrupted and proceeds to a fervid laudation of philosophy, does philosophy then make happiness, said he interrupting assuredly said I, and it alone, what then is philosophy, he said, and what is happiness? Pray tell me unless something hinders you from saying, philosophy said I is a knowledge of that which really exists and a clear perception of truth, and happiness is the reward of such knowledge and wisdom but what do you call god said he that which always maintains the same nature and is the cause of all other things that indeed is god so i answered him and he listened with pleasure the conversation which is too long to be fully transcribed turns on the attributes of the soul justin discourses on that topic after the manner of the platonists the old man on the other hand urges him to study the prophets of the old testament for they predicted the coming of christ and their prophecies have been fulfilled they said he both glorified the creator the god and father of all and proclaimed his son the christ sent by him but he added pray that above all things the gates of light may be opened to you for these things cannot be perceived or understood by all but only by him to whom god and his christ have imparted wisdom when he had spoken these and many other things which there is no time for mentioning at present he went away bidding me attend to them and I have not seen him since. But straightway a flame was kindled in my soul, and a love of the prophets, and of those men who are friends of Christ, possessed me. And, whilst revolving his words in my mind, I found this philosophy alone to be safe and profitable. Thus, and for this reason, I am a philosopher. Moreover, I would that all, making a resolution similar to my own, would regard the words of the Savior, for they possess a terrible power in themselves, and are sufficient to inspire those who turn aside from the path of rectitude with awe, while the sweetest rest is afforded to those who diligently observe them. The dialogue from which these passages are taken is a real or imaginary disputation with Trypho, a learned Jew at Ephesus, respecting the principles of Christianity, and contains an elaborate demonstration that Christ is the Messiah of the Old Testament. The controversy is carried on with courtesy on both sides, and each disputant is equally earnest in his attempt to convert the other. Justin was a very copious writer. The two most important of his writings now remaining are the two apologies. These are certainly the two earliest of the numerous ancient pleas for toleration of Christianity now extant. The first, Apologia, is addressed to the Emperor Antoninus Pius and the Roman Senate and the whole people of the Romans. And the purport of it may be inferred from the commencement in which Justin says that he presents this address and petition in behalf of all nations who were unjustly hated and wantonly abused, myself being one of them. The second epilogia was addressed to the Roman Senate, probably in the reign of Antoninus Marcus Aurelius and successor of antoninus Pius. in this work, Justin appeals indignantly to the Roman Senate against the unjust conduct of one. Urbicus, who, at Rome, had condemned several persons to death simply because they professed to be Christians, this Urbicus seems to have held the office of prefect of the city, a magistrate from whom there was no appeal except to the prince himself, or as this apologia would suggest, to the Senate. The two apologies contain the most vehement invectives against the whole system of heathen idolatry, and accused Jupiter and the other gods whom the Romans revered of ineffable vices. Of course, the man who could thus tell the Roman senate and people that all they held sacred was unspeakably and hideously wicked could expect but one fate. Justin threw down the gauntlet, and the constituted authorities very quietly took it up, with the result which, as the human power was all with them, it was not difficult to foresee. Sometime in the reign of Aurelius, but in what year is not known, Justin and several other Christians were accused before Rusticus prefect of rome of disobedience to certain decrees then in force by which christians who refused to sacrifice to the gods were liable to be put to death it is difficult to reconcile the passing of these decrees with the known character of aurelius who is universally described as a humane as a benevolent king the probable explanation is that like his predecessor trajan he was actuated by motives of state policy and regarded Christianity as rebellion against the authority of the state. Eusebius has given an account of the martyrdom of Justin upon the authority of Tatian, who was a disciple of the martyr. This account substantially agrees with the very ancient martyrdom of Justin, which concludes thus, The prefect says to Justin, Hearken, you who are called learned and think that you know true doctrines, if you are scourged and beheaded, do you believe that you will ascend into heaven? Justin said, I hope that if I endure these things I shall have this gift, for I know that to all who have thus lived there abides the divine favor until the completion of the world. Rusticus, the prefect, said, Do you suppose that you will ascend into heaven to receive such a recompense? Justin said, I do not suppose it, but I know and am fully persuaded of it. Thus also said the other Christians, Do what you will, for we are Christians, and do not sacrifice to idols. Rusticus, the prefect, pronounced sentence, saying, Let those who have refused to sacrifice to the gods and to yield to the command of the emperor be scourged and led away to suffer decapitation, according to the law. The holy martyrs, having glorified God and having gone forth to the accustomed place, were beheaded, and perfected their testimony in the confession of the Savior. And some of the faithful, having secretly removed their bodies, laid them in a suitable place, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, having wrought along with them, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. End of section 24. Recording by Colleen McMahon.